Now, uh, today, uh, Claire is going to be delivering our message. Next week, we have Cooper delivering the message um, while, uh, while Beth and Dale, uh, Dale try to um, work their way out of prison. <laughs> and, um, and are you ready, Claire? I think so. You think so? You weren't yeah. last time. Well, when we had the practice runs. So. Okay, cool. <laughs> Give it up for Claire, everybody. Thank you, Aaron. Alrighty. Uh, I am Claire. I am the other assistant pastor here at Lighthouse, also known as the other kid uh, who got left behind on vacation. I don't know. Um, uh, So how is the first week of 2024 treating everybody? Pretty good. Yeah. Has anyone else fallen on the ice? Because I've hit my third time this winter. Okay, raise of hands here because I'm just curious and a little nosy sometimes. Who all set New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. And a couple. Okay, if you have your hand raised, keep it raised if you've kept them. Okay, we're like 50% there, so doing pretty well. I did not set one. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of jokes for you all today. First one is a knock-knock joke. So, knock, knock. Control freak. Okay, wait, wait. This is where you say control freak who. (laughs) This one. (laughs) Thanks, Bill. This next one is a bit more of a lighthouse-focused joke. Uh, I showed up late to the weekly Kleptomaniacs Anonymous group this week. And when I went to find a place to sit, unfortunately, all the seats were taken. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) Hey, it was pretty good. (laughs) I feel like the kleptomaniacs don't get enough, like, support and, you know, recognition, so. (laughs) All right, Uh, if you have been joining us recently on Sundays, we've been going through the book of John. We spent quite a bit of time going through the prologue, and just last weekend, Dale wrapped up chapter one. Last weekend, we learned how Jesus built his support system using ordinary people who we now know as the disciples. Jesus gave them the invitation to come and see the goodness that was in store for following him, even when we've been in places that might cause someone to think we're a lost cause. We also learned that often when we're in those places, wondering what to do or who to turn to, Jesus has already stepped in. So today we are going to move into the second chapter of John, where Jesus begins his public ministry and performs his first miraculous sign. So if you would like to grab a Bible and follow along, they should be in the chairs in front of you. And we will be jumping to John chapter 2, which can be found on page 882 in the Church Bible or 1,343 in the Recovery Bible. All right, so today we are going to be looking at the wedding at Cana, starting at verse 1. The next day... There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus's mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the masters of ceremony. This would be like the host of the wedding. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has, a, has had a lot to drink, you bring out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brother, and his disciples. Alrighty, so we have got a question today, and it is, share of a time when God exceeded your expectations. This might look like a time in your life when you just kind of had one of those like mind-blowing moments where you're just in awe but it also might just look like a time that you got through when you really didn't know if you would. So if you have gotten an answer to this question, you can go ahead and just raise your hand. One of our mic runners will uh, come find you. You just stand up, say your name, and give a short answer. My name is Jason. Um, a friend of mine passed away, and um, uh, cardinals, red cardinals are a sign that from... That's that the loved ones watching for you or whatever. And I've never seen a cardinal before, and neither, neither has my mom. She's 69 years old. And when we were driving to, just to the store on my pass at the center, we saw a cardinal. And it was, it was pretty cool because, I mean, my mom's 69, and she's never seen one in her whole life. And we both happened to see that right after my friend passed. So mm-hmm. that was pretty neat. Thank you, Jason. Hello, my name is Star. Um, well, when I was incarcerated for a DWI or a DUI, um, I had almost killed six people. And there was somebody in the hospital that was almost going to die. And I prayed to God. I said, God, oh, I've learned my lesson this time. And I just, it looked like an impossible situation that I was going to be locked up for a very long time. But I kept the faith of God, and I believed that he was going to intervene in the situation. And he did, and that person lived. And here I am today to tell you all how God exceeded my expectations. I thought there was just no way out, and this was the end for me. But God turned that situation around and saved me and six other people's lives. So I'm very grateful. Thank you very much. We're glad you're here. (laughs) 
when my kids were little, there were some times when we really lived paycheck to paycheck. And I remember this one time we had this big car bill that was coming to due so we could actually drive the vehicle. And I, I don't remember the exact amount, but um, I was just praying, God, help us. We don't, like, I don't know how we're going to be able to pay for this car and gas and whatever else. And that week in the mail, I got a check for something that I didn't know I had over overpaid. It was like this refund for something. And it was not quite the exact amount. It was actually $10 more than I needed for that car bill. It was such a God thing. Mm -hmm. Good story. Thank you. Lighthouse on Louisa. And the one thing I can think of is like in my recovery, He's shown up so many times and exceeded my expectations because, like, for example, like, I, I've been having a hard time keeping sober and stuff, and, like, I wasn't able to exceed um, in two months of sobriety, and I... Like, the longest trend of sobriety I had was, like, nine months. And it's only because God helped me. Mm. And I'm sure he will help me again. Yes. Thank you, Louisa. All righty, we've got time for one more if someone would like to share. All right, Galen. Hello. Uh, back when I was in college, I delivered pizza for a living. Um, and I had a little Geo Metro. It was great. Um, I, I could fill the tank with, uh, for less than $10, and I had to fill it like every two weeks, uh, delivering pizzas. Except when the oil leak got into the timing belt and broke the timing belt, and I got stranded after delivery. So here I am, college kid, no money, basically living off of the tips I was making, and I've got a car that's broken. And uh, so I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, obviously, I prayed about it. Um, maybe I did. I don't remember. Uh, I was not great at praying at that time. But um, that weekend, my mom comes down, and she's driving my grandpa's old Lincoln Town car. And she says, here, he was going to sell this car and give you the money, but it looks like you need the car more. So I... Uh, college kid, I had a Lincoln Town car. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing and being transparent with us. So after reading this story, there were a few uh, different things that initially caught my attention. I kind of jumped out in these verses. But before we get into that, um, let's try and go back in time a couple thousand years. Let's try to go back to Galilee and put ourselves in their shoes to get a better understanding of what this situation may have been like. Okay, so we're at a wedding, right? Now, weddings today, they're a pretty big deal, you know? Um, with months of planning involved uh, to ensure that the day is memorable. Well, back in Jesus' time, wedding celebrations lasted for days on end. It would have been like a week-long event with crowds of people gathering from far away to commemorate the event. There would have been enough food and wine for feast after feast. Traditions 
and rituals were the foundation for Jewish weddings, and it would have been important that everything go as planned. When we read that the wine supply ran out during the festivities, it would have meant that something went wrong. It would have, been, it would have not been a part of the plan. Now, if you're sitting here at Lighthouse, you might have an idea of the disappointment that was felt when the alcohol ran dry. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> However, for the people hosting the wedding, this all meant that the celebration had come, would be coming to an end, that it would be done, over with, finished, before expected. It would have been a big deal, and shame would be looming for the hosts. All the planning and preparation, the good days prior to that moment, they all might have been clouded by the unmet expectations, embarrassment, and it likely would have become the remember when time that the hosts would wish to forget. Can you imagine how they must have felt? That initial fear of, what do we do? Followed by quickly realizing that there really wasn't a simple solution, couldn't just run to the store and get more. And having people question, how could you let this happen? Has anyone ever else, anyone had that feeling before? When you get that pit in your stomach and you kind of freeze because you don't know how to respond? It's that feeling of not being in control. And that leads to the first perspective I think we can take away from this story which is, it's okay to not be in control. I know, it's uncomfortable for most of us, and uh, I'm guessing if you're like me, you'll do about anything to avoid that feeling. Um, and the ways in which we try to grasp for control in our everyday lives often presents itself in various different ways. Whether it be the wanting to know the who's, what's, why's, where's, when's, and whatever else you can think of. Feeling like if we know everything or can change something, that our minds are at ease. Thinking we have control of a situation can provide a sense of predictability and a way to cope with fear, anxiety, or an out-of-control situation that we might be faced with. It could also just simply be a learned behavior you picked up somewhere in childhood. It could be a defense mechanism. Or maybe, maybe you really do just think you're right all the time. <laughs> Never know. But whatever the cause, the control we think we have is often perceived and can actually start to control us. Now, if you know me well, you very well might still be in shock that those words came out of my mouth, <laughs> which is fair. And um, I'm working on it and slowly getting better at, re at releasing that control. Uh, for some of you who might not know me as well, I am uh, in recovery from anorexia, which is a disorder strongly associated with the desire for control. The incessant need to know, obsess about, measure, and track everything related to food or exercise occupied all my capacity for thinking how I spent my time, 
and often dictated how my day was going. Today, I brought with me an old journal, actually, that I uh, kept while I was in treatment the last time. And I would like to read for you uh, something that was written about four years ago from just a couple days ago. You can see on the cover it says for luggage with my name on it. And that's because after they found out I was tracking how many blueberries I was eating, they took it away. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's um, a lot here, but I just wanted to pull out a couple pieces because this was a time in my life when I felt like I had the most control and I was angry at the people who I thought were trying to take it away. Why have the last few years been a constant cycle I feel like I'll never be able to escape from? This was shortly being after taken to the emergency room. Um, the nurses got upset when I pulled out my IV. They told me it wasn't sugar water in it, but I don't believe them. My troponin levels were high, indicating there was heart damage and that I was at risk for a heart attack. For some reason, none of this scares me. I just don't feel like trying anymore. I want to give up. I can't see a future outside of the way that I'm living, and I'm tired. So that time when I felt like I had so much control wasn't quite accurate. My way of living was not in control. I was being controlled by an illness that robbed me of many things, including any sort of joy or happiness, relationships, my health and my faith, and ultimately, the willingness to keep fighting. But as I mentioned earlier, slowly learning to release control bit by bit, one day at a time, uh, has um, allowed me to find more peace in my life than uh, any attempt for control ever brought. And the same is true for any situation that you might be facing today. It's knowing that even though we can't always predict the future, we can trust the one whose hands it lies in. And that comfort is found in accepting that you can't control life or the world around you, but you are protected and cared for by the one who can. Which leads us to our second point, which is that God doesn't break his promises. So this might kind of foreshadow the next few weeks a little bit, but throughout the chapter of John, we see the way Jesus fulfills prophecies found in the Old Testament. Now, by the time the Old Testament had ended, people on earth, just like you and I, had grown comfortable in following their own paths. Does anyone ever feel that way? Just do what I do. They were stuck in their stubborn and sinful ways. Sound familiar? And despite God's grace, guidance, and love being readily available for them, they did not trust that he knew them fully and still wanted a relationship with them. 
they tried to take on this world alone, and things got pretty messy. They got pretty dark. Anyone else ever had that happen? Mm-hmm. Destruction was all around, and there was no recorded messages from God for hundreds of years. But that doesn't mean he forgot about his people or the promises he had made previously. We read in Isaiah one of those promises, when despite the chaos happening in Jerusalem, God still wanted the best for his people. So if you would like to turn to Isaiah chapter 60, we will pick up at verse 17. Uh, It can be found on page 616 in the church Bibles or 916 in the recovery Bible. All right, 17. I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land, and desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls, and praise will be on the lips of all who enter there. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night. For the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will never go down. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, Your days of mourning will come to an end. All your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people, and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At that time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I think it's sometimes um, it can be hard to believe that God would want the best for us. Our own self-worth issues, um, our pasts, our sins, and our pain can get in the way. Luckily, Jesus already has that covered. In the story of the uh, wedding in Cana, Jesus uses stone water stone water jars that are meant for cleansing rituals. At that time, it was believed that for the purification process to take place, for a person to be clean or pure, washing ceremonies had to be done multiple times throughout the day. So when Jesus took and used those jars to turn water into wine, it was was a symbolic gesture and to foreshadow what was to come. It foreshadowed that a day would come when his blood shed for us would clean our hearts. That no longer would we need any sort of cleansing rituals. He is the everlasting light mentioned in the Old Testament. Even after everything that had happened in Jerusalem, God kept his promises. So no matter where you've been 
or what you've gone through, even if it seems like you haven't heard from God in a while, he's still keeping his promises with you. It's all because he views you perfectly and he calls you his child and he has given you a purpose. Our third main point is that God can transform our lives in unexpected ways. Verse 9 tells us that when the host tasted the water that had been turned to wine, he didn't know where it came from. He wasn't aware what Jesus had done. All he knew is that something wrong had somehow been made right. The surprise and excitement can be almost heard through the words um, we hear from the groom when he says, but you have kept the best until now. Now, growing up, I lived what I would consider to be a relatively sheltered life. The real-life issues I've come to learn is pretty common here at Lighthouse, whether it be addiction or mental health struggles, financial difficulties, family separation, homelessness, whatever it might be, they weren't really on my radar because it wasn't something I was facing, at least directly. I knew that some of my relatives had had struggles of their own, but not much was really ever said of it, and as far as I could tell, all was well. And if it wasn't, there was always a solution, or there was silence just kind of though we don't really talk about it. (laughs) Now, I know very well that this was well-intentioned and likely an attempt to shield away the things that kids shouldn't have to worry about. However, when I began experiencing my own real-life issues, I felt very alone and oftentimes ashamed. My walls were built quite high and I didn't want to let anybody in. I was afraid of being judged or treated differently. My guess is that I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way. It was only when I started coming here that those walls I had so carefully constructed began to lower. By hearing other people talk openly about what they were facing and the struggles that they were going through, watching the ways that we rejoice with one another when someone experiences or accomplishes something they never thought was possible or achieves a milestone, and by experiencing the love and acceptance that comes with walking through those front doors. uh, It opened my mind to the idea that it was actually okay to not be okay and that this was a safe place to be. It also planted the seed that there was hope for better days on the horizon. This place became the home I didn't really expect, and it's filled with family I never really anticipated on meeting. Turn and tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're here just as you are. We all have come from very different backgrounds and have our own unique stories. 
Yet we all know just how much our lives can be transformed when we let God into our hearts. We also know how the recovery world can be a little bit different than the outside world. There are still times when I find myself wishing other people got it the way people get it here. It's usually when I make a dark humor joke and someone gives the concerned look instead of laughing along. (laughs) Or that there was an easy way to explain to friends and family why aspects of my life are the way that they are and to know that I'll be understood. Things like how, no, I didn't graduate college with the rest of my peers because I dropped out a few times to go to treatment. Um, Or how social situations make me overwhelmed and staying at home is the preferable option. Um, Or how my compliance to taking a silly little mood stabilizer often dictates just how well my mental health is. Or a personal favorite and a recent accomplishment of mine, um, how after probably purchasing, I would guess, like eight dozen bananas um, over the last year to finally overcome the rule inside my brain that says you can only eat half once. I did it once. <laughs> you know, no. Thank you for the support. Appreciate it. <laughs> Those who get it, get it. <laughs> um, I've often found, though, that when I uh, spend too long comparing the ways I live to those around me, things can start feeling pretty discouraging pretty fast. Um, However, when I look at the expectations I had for my life when I thought I was in control, uh, which was the expectation that I would not have made it this far, that I'm incredibly grateful for the ways God's uninterrupted interventions, or unexpected interventions took place. So if you start to notice that the more you learn to trust and follow God, the more different your life is starting to look, try not to question it. It might be hard. But God's plan for you might not be the same one you've had for yourself or that you're anticipating but there's also a pretty good chance that it's because he's creating something better. Just like when water was turned into wine. Alrighty, now our last point from this story is that the love and grace that comes from Jesus is abundant and greater than anything else. Now, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he didn't turn it into the less expensive wine they would have been drinking by that point in the wedding. No, it was the quality superior to anything that had been served already. And there was a lot of it. It was overflowing, with more than enough to be shared amongst the crowd. In a way, the love and grace Jesus so freely gives us is kind of like the same. Not long ago, we focused on verse 16 of the prologue that reads, from his abundance, 
we have received one gracious blessing after another. Now, before the service today, I asked a couple people if they would be willing to share how they have been blessed in abundance. And so with their permission, because when I think of, when I think of Lighthouse, I think each one of us has probably been blessed in gracious and abundant ways. One blessing on top of the next. So Kathy has been abundantly blessed by reconnecting with herself, by getting to know herself better and who she is as a child of God, what it means to not be defined by her past, and to reconnect with her family, her friends, and her Lighthouse family with a new appreciation of the people who have stood by her side. And Heavenly, who has recently learned how to accept a BPD diagnosis, something that isn't always easy, and especially not easy to sometimes find ways that it's a blessing. And not only that, but she's also grown in her own understanding as to how her family relationships work and why things were the way that they were. Thank you both for being willing to to let me share that. So nowhere else will we find love and grace like that of God. Only by his profound and overflowing love do we find salvation through the gift of his son, Jesus. And it's Jesus who gives us that second, third, and fourth, fifth chance. And that is a gracious blessing. He is the cleansing water in our lives that takes away our stains and makes us pure again. And that is a gracious blessing. Jesus is the one who's sitting next to you in the storm telling you that it's going to be okay and you're not alone. And what a gracious blessing that is. Because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, you have been covered with love and grace so that you may know forgiveness. All of these are gracious blessings and are made possible because we have a God who said there's nothing you could have done yesterday or that you could do tomorrow that would make him love you any less or any more than he already does.